Hello, and welcome to Literacy Landscapes. On Literacy Landscapes, we re-examine literacy theory and watch it in action today. We'll give you an inside look into the classroom and take you outside to where play and practice meet. I'm excited to share with you, I have added a new feature on my podcast website. Visit my pod page and leave me an email or a voicemail if you want to be featured in a future episode. All you need to do is share your favorite children's book, song, or poem. The website will be linked in the show notes if you'd like to contribute to a future episode. I am so excited about this week's episode and upcoming ones too. This week we explore the language of acupuncture, and in upcoming episodes, I'm so excited to share, I interviewed the author of Once Upon a Prime, Dr. Sarah Hart, as well as premier scholars in the field of literacy, including Dr. Susan Newman and Dr. Kevin Wong. It brings me so much joy to introduce our guest for today. Dr. Sean Chalemi is an academic, a practicing acupuncturist and healer, and all around amazing person. I can't wait to to have this conversation. So what do you want the audience to know about you, Sean? Uh, I, I, I guess I'd like to let you know that uh, I'm here to help in any way I possibly can, utilizing the, the vast array of skills and techniques I've acquired over the last decade and a half, traveling the world, studying with uh, masters and teachers I never imagined I'd be able to study with, to be honest. Um, in areas of, you know, wellness and tech and economics is my first degree is in economics, literally. So I I I generally try to keep people well in in every way that I possibly can, whether it's physical, mental, psychological, spiritual, uh, oncological work, really. I've referred to myself often as the anti-specialist. I choose not to isolate myself with a singular line of specialty, although I like to go deep, kind of like a tree, the roots of a tree into the ground in many, many directions but none of them on the surface because I want to learn everything to extremely deep level of uh, knowledge and intellect. I think that's why we connect. Like for me, that's why like literacy is like this really big umbrella that includes language and reading and writing. I always ask this question of all our guests. So is there a favorite childhood story either read to you or a song or a fairy tale or a text that you've read now as an adult that has special meaning to you? So ironically, wouldn't with my daughter, or almost going on five next month, my my mother has brought out of the archival realm of something. She uh, I, I can't remember the co- I can't recall the name of the book, but it's upstairs and it's essentially like Garbage Man Stan or something. It was published in like you know 1958 or something like that. But uh, according to her, that was my favorite childhood book, and I've been reading it to my daughter for a few weeks in a row now, every night, and she loves reading it. But it's kind of an old-world, simplistic model of this garbage man, Stan, who has this altruistic view of life and everything, and he, he sees all the garbage on the street and immediately sees the greatest potential that someone can reuse this, someone can repurpose this. Like he's, he's kind of like the old-school DIY garbage man. <laughs> And I always like trying to find uh, treasures in the rough, things that people don't actually identify immediate value to. Metaphorically, I think that identification of immediate value at face at face value is probably something that's like false. I love that. And growing up, like being immigrants and like my father was always like my father grew up with not a lot of means. Yeah. Also, like every garbage set, like garbage, you know, anything fancy on the block that was put out yeah. or garage sale, like my dad mm-hmm. was all up about it. And like growing up, like he would transform couches. He yeah. would he built all of our furniture from whatever. Like, so I respect that so much because like that definitely speaks to my childhood. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I forgot about those that are all one. now lost skills. Yeah. Like we don't have people who know how to do upholstery, who know how to right. make hardwood furniture or greenwood furniture. 
Yep. You, know, like you now have to go out of the way to find the rare dying breed of people that can make yeah. exceptionally well-crafted goods or repair yeah. these old world well-crafted goods. And, uh, and, and it, it is not just a skill, it's an art form. And it is, like yeah. you said, I respect so much. My great, my grandfather was a tailor, right? Like being yeah. a tailor, like learning these trades are so yeah. incredibly important and I value them. There is a shift like in education right now, a little bit more of an emphasis on it, but yeah. I agree with you. And it's, it's a very yeah. important shift. Like they, like a certain number of years ago, they removed home economics from schools. Yeah. Like that was, you know, never really directly to encourage trades, right. but it let people know, like how many people don't know how to boil an egg, quite literally something very simplistic. I don't know how to do that. You know, people yeah. like put it in the microwave. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like fundamental skills that we should all have to a certain base level and the education system are being overlooked every day. Yeah. And then we and then. How do we make them up? We go outside, we earn a job, we work that you usually don't like or enjoy. You do it until you can't stand it. And then yeah. you pay for someone to press your clothes, to sew a button back on, to just buy new shoes. Everything's expendable versus like, hey, let me get something of quality, of value. Let me work hard for it. Let me replace the soles on my shoes. Let me fix my wash. Let me maintain my car that should run for 25 years without problem. And still you know not be looked at as uh, disposable after four years <laughs> like i'm nodding so, my head so hard yes yes and yes those are really like important values not the financial value placed by external forces that we feel that we need to succumb to essentially 100 <laughs> percent. so you have an established practice wrenching yes. healing <laughs> And it merges Eastern and Western medicine. And you have earned a doctorate in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I want to, I always ask my guests, like I'm, I'm inspired by Simon Sinek's concept of like, what's your why? So yeah. how did this feel, this field become a calling for you? What's your why? So my, I guess when my why or my backstory was um, divine intervention, I guess you could say quite literally. Uh, when I was 21, I was diagnosed with malignant melanoma. I think was caught very early and was able to be excised, removed, and I managed to avoid uh, a repeat of unnecessary surgeries, like using my knowledge of the body at that point, not studying medicine. But my direction at that point in time was literally economics. I was being groomed to be a hedge fund manager and going to hedge funds. And I was also working directly under three uh, pretty large commercial real estate development companies. I wasn't under the company. I was, I was mentored under their wings. I was literally in every meeting, every office, every town hall meeting, every visit, learning the ins and outs of not just hedge fund management, but also commercial real estate development and large-scale development. So you know, 18, 19 years old, I was, I was learning how to develop $400 million sites. Um, but my goals were misleading. And my, my intentions were just like make as much money as I possibly can. And that's not really helpful to anybody but me. So, so I think the skin cancer came at the right time. It was like a pivotal junction a year before graduating, like really launching into whichever industry I went into. And it, it turned my whole world upside down. And I had to really focus on, you know, like, like really, I, I put my hands up and I just looked like, what am I here to do? Why am I here? And uh, acupuncture sort of creeped its way into my life. I had never had any acupuncture before, no experience in it whatsoever. 
but I had previously and since like 10 or 11 studied anatomy and physiology and the body and myology and I was very heavy into weight training and physical uh, like mind body connection essentially like how do you go run 15 miles and not be destroyed by that and I used to do that back then five six days a week and my, my daily routine was wow. like 1200 push-ups like you know <laughs> 1200 sit-ups run three miles oh my gosh and that was a very different uh, physical form than I currently am but <laughs> but my ability to adapt my mind to my body was there but my spirit was absent I think looking back at it so in, in Taoism which is one of the one of the linear forces that developed East Asian medicine their concepts between the Sandan Huyi the unification of the mind body and spirit is something that I really resonated with. How do you how do you maximize your own full potential? How do you figure out who you are really meant to be? In Taoism, they call it your uh, your xianren, your true self. You know, we all aspire to find our, in our deepest selves who we are meant to be. Why are we born? Why are we constellationally brought down from the heavens and on, put on earth to create ideally a positive impact of some kind? and be used, you know, by the heavens beyond us and whatever religious beliefs you have that lead that, they all actually kind of say the same thing too. So it's <laughs> no need yeah. to battle between religions. It's like, what, what are you meant to be? Who are you meant to be? And I was handed the card of the, of the healer. Um, and then Chinese medicine, uh, I was actually ironically studying to be a personal trainer at the same time. And I became a holistic health counselor too. And I put those two together, but I wanted to do more. I didn't feel like that was enough. And I still went into looking, ironically, I wanted to look into nutrition and I've typed in searches back then and I was uh, searching and East, a course for Eastern nutrition came up at the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. What the, What is that? Because like I said, I had no, no idea about any of it, like literally. In, in lieu of that, I started to research. I, I bought a, a foundational textbook in Chinese medicine, Foundations of Chinese Medicine by Giovanni Macioccia leading back to an, an earlier question a very influential yes. book that is a very influential text for me wow i read uh extensively and multiple times prior to even going to school and most people barely get through it even through school so i went in with the knowledge of this 30-year veteran um with masters of teachers uh reading many many times alongside other textbooks throughout that time but I went in to be a, a open house. Essentially, after that, I found they had an open house. I was like, let me go check this out. I have literally no idea what this is. I've now read a bunch of information on it that I, I need to know if I know how to process it or I process it right. And uh, I felt almost immediately at home there. Uh, it's hard for me to feel at home anywhere. So I felt very comfortable at home there. And uh, they met all the higher ups, met the presidents of the schools and everyone in between. And they were all really, really appreciative to have me there for some reason. I don't quite understand why I was just doing an open house. <laughs> That's <laughs> and awesome. Can, they, can you be a student for a day? So I was like, all right, let me set up. And a few days later, I went to go in and be a student for a day and let me pretty much go from like sun up to sundown. And I sat in first year classes, second year classes, third year classes, and uh, fourth year classes and uh, was able to observe in a clinic. So I was able to go through like the entire four year program in like a day, essentially. But the more directional portion of that was uh, I knew all the answers to all the questions they were asking and I was able to stump many of the teachers wow and then kind of take the knowledge deeper like just autonomously it was a uh, kind of like a rebirth of a past self within myself like I just knew these answers without ever really actually studying 
beyond a certain you know exposure to a textbook. And uh, I would say I'm a, you know I'm a five thousand year old Chinese sage somewhere back in my history. <laughs> I channeled them to come forward to the future. That's wild. Yeah, and and there's there's so much that I want to ask you about. And one of the things that I I talk about is the unspoken and spoken literacies of anything. Yeah. Um and. So you're the best acupuncturist ever. I'll say that. But I saw one many, many years ago. So my son's going into college. Yeah. My husband, I've never, I don't think I've ever told anyone this story, but um, I, you know, Adam and I wanted to have uh, a kid and we were trying yeah. and I was seeing an acupuncturist for migraines and we were like, I had no idea that I was pregnant yeah. and she felt my wrist and she goes, mm-hmm. are you expecting yeah. And I was like, how do you know this? There is, there is ironically, <laughs> to the, the perceptive pulse masters, a pregnancy pulse. She said that she felt a pulse. I was yeah. like, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, yeah. it was wild. <laughs> yeah, they have a pregnancy pulse that they've identified from, you know, 5,500 years of observational science, essentially. And uh, it's uh, kind of a, a slippery, spindly pulse that is unlike any other pulses that you can feel in the radial wrist, uh, on the radial nerve. I'm still uh, shaking my artery. head, like <laughs> 18 years later, like I still mm-hmm. can't believe that she she knew. Um, yeah. She was really amazing. She was from, from China as well. And um, so one thing that's interesting to me is like the unspoken, like you mentioned, like you can feel, you can sense things, right? So yeah. much. And then there's the language of acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Like I've been told that they're like, you know, like cold or dampness or this, yeah. right? Like, can you walk us through or Jing, right? What are these terms yeah. in relation to acupuncture? Yeah. So that's great. I like part of my, my PhD study is actually in the integration of Eastern and Western um, medicine essentially translating and becoming the bridge between the East and West. Like how do you integrate and how do you navigate the terminology back and forth? So when you say like, when someone says dampness, so you've got dampness in your, you know, in your muscles, they feel very heavy, very achy. Dampness can literally translate to an increased interstitial fluid viscosity. You have too much extracellular fluid inside the cellular walls of the cells in that portion of your body or that region of your organ systems. So we just say damp because it's it's a transliteration from Chinese to English. Oh. It's an easier term, but encompasses a whole level of different levels of pathophysiology and pathomechanisms that indicate different systems of decline or systems of imbalance. So like cold is more of like a vasoconstriction. There's a lack of a blood flow, lack of lymphatic circulation, lack of probably neurological firing to the area in Western medicine. But you go to a Western doctor and say, I don't know, I, I, my uh, my doc, my acupuncture said I, I have cold damp, you know, in my intestinal tract. And it's like, well, what yes. is that? <laughs> Which many people do. <laughs> but it's it's no, you've got an increased interstitial fluid viscosity because of the metabolic function and the peristaltic movements of your intestinal tract and your enteric nervous system are not getting proper blood flow, proper circulation, proper lymphatic drainage, and they're not absorbing the right nutrition or essences to allow your enteric nervous system to fire into your actual gastrointestinal system to function properly. And that can involve the stomach and the liver and the spleen, the pancreas, the gallbladder, all the uh, original, um, essentially the middle jowl, we have upper, upper, middle, and lower jowl, which house the different organs in the body. It's very logical when you look at a map of a human, like, oh, okay, that's three segments. 
but the middle jiao is where the spleen and pancreas sit. In Chinese medicine, they usually emphasize the spleen, but it's a lot of the function of the pancreas. Back 3,500 years ago, when they were essentially uh, opening up cadavers of sorts, which was actually previously like uh, they would do a lot of tests on prisoners to do experiments. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, every, every part of history has that yeah. sort of dark oh. scientific exploration. You know, like they found like, you know, 700 like uh, toddler skulls in Benjamin Franklin's like basement or something. Oh, my uh, you can look that up. Some weird stuff that not, not just Asia, oh. the whole world of human exploration on science it really involves a lot of death even modern facilities, you know, they, they'll run you through trials and exams and you you commit your body to science and they basically pre and post-mortem to a certain extent, they, they explore your whole body. So it's not, you know, nobody talks about it, but we all benefit from it in the oh, long run. Yeah. <laughs> you just so hope you, to not be the one on the table that they're talking about. Oh my about. God. <laughs> so you uh, just demonstrated the extent to which like you have such a deep knowledge, but what was the process like of learning all of this, all the terminology, also the points, like everything. You know, walk us through your own learning process. So it was, I would say, challenging, um, just because like it's, it was literally like learning a language, quite literally. Like you had to learn, you know, how to communicate in English, which we kind of already know, but most of us don't know it very well. Even though we speak English, we're fluent, we're here, but you know, like ironically, Germans speak the most correct English of all American English people in the whole world, <laughs> quite literally. And they're not even, you know, from they don't speak English, they're German, but <laughs> but they're the most proper, ironically. <laughs> um, but learning the terminology and correlating the vocabulary back and forth between Eastern and Western is kind of the key, but it is learning a lot of systematic terms and organizational thought process to how those terms come together, how they correlate, how they overwork, how they overmap. And then learning like the point systems, you learn them by organ systems and channels. So there's a systematic approach to the flow of chi through the circadian rhythm that you actually learn from like lung to large intestine, to stomach, to spleen, to liver, to gallbladder, and so on and so forth through the whole system. And then each meridian has its own points and where it flows through the body internally and externally, energetically, uh, peripherally, distally, so that it's like all those branches of that tree, so to speak, are taught um, like a, like a regular curriculum. You learn foundations, and then you support them, and you reinforce them, and you grow, and you can learn more depth and more knowledge, and you grow, and you you should sequentially build upon it as you go through the program. What I found a lot of that was not made overtly um, direct. Like in many many educational programs, they don't really show you that those dots connect to a whole picture like why am i learning mm. this why do i need mm -hmm. to learn that and why do i need to learn that and you struggle through each section of it without ever putting the pieces together you know you can't you can't understand the micro anywhere near as well if you don't know the macro and vice versa you have to understand both micro and macro um, to really get the whole picture and then reduce it down to the reductionary model like okay well what does this mean but how does that input to the next sequence and the next sequence and then zoom out to the whole picture and that, like I said, is translatable to every system of learning and knowledge. Sure. So whatever you want to learn, you can apply those basic principles um, in their own terminology. But like I said, learning, learning what it, what is cold? What, what the heck does cold mean? What is right. mean? what is stagnation? What is fire? Like I got fire now. It's like well, fire. If you go back to the ancient uh, get, like Greek terminology of it, it was for inflammare or in flames or inflammation. Yeah, Western medicine would be very familiar with inflammation, 
But what happens in the body when they have inflammation, they get red and they get hot. There's an erythemic red reaction as the blood vasodilates versus vasoconstriction and cold and expands and sends a surplus of uh, blood and energy to the area, creating a hot, tumultuous environment, feeling like you're on fire and <laughs> visit various portions of your yeah. body. The <laughs> fire is actually very uh, simply complex. Mm. <laughs> it's a very I, simple term for complex physiological mechanisms. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, Just hearing you talk about, and I agree with you, like I teach in college, and sometimes I'll stop and tell my students, like, this is why we're learning something. I think it's really important to sometimes, like, explain why we're doing something or why we're learning something, because I don't want my students passive. I also want them, like, actively understanding how these pieces come together. So same thing. Yeah. I really agree. How were you assessed on all of your knowledge? Did you have like written tests? What What was the oh, process? We had constant quizzing, constant tests, constant examination. And I, I probably took collectively between, when I was studying Chinese medicine, I did three degrees simultaneously. And I, I was underachiever. <laughs> I was intuition overload constantly because I had to do multiple clinical rounds and excessive classes. And I was working three jobs at the, in the beginning of it. So I, I was pushing myself far beyond the brink of what mm-hmm. should have been possible had I not been, you know, 22, 23 at the time. Wow. <laughs> um, but literally an, an onslaught of tests. And uh, I actually initially, I, I still to this day don't really like standardized testing because it's, it's, it is a reductionary understanding of the abstract. It doesn't really, in my opinion, identify the strengths or weaknesses of the student as a whole, because again, they have different perspectives if you're looking at somebody in a box they're in a box what if they don't need a box what if they don't need the walls what if you allow them to run free then they discover stuff that you never even thought because you just put them in a box like you know you can't learn your neighborhood by staying in your yard you know (laughs) yeah and i and it's so important so i think there's a place for standardized tests but you know we we always want to get to know like our students i think that's so important and not i've worked with a lot of teachers over the years like where like they have like you don't want to have a deficit perspective you want to think what does the student bring to the table yeah exactly what what is their inherent cognitive strength and ability what do they see what is the lens that they look through that everybody else may not that can be beneficial to the collective and identifying that in each student can really emphasize like, oh, hey, so-and-so is great at this. Can you can you explain from your idea? Because nine of the 10 of us don't understand it, but you really have a good perspective on it. You know, like let them teach the class, you know. For sure. <laughs> and that helps to ignite their passion, right? You were yeah. talking about making sure that students kind of feel their excitement. Yeah. But uh, I, I was telling my daughter, I'm like, you know, if you if you're bored, because she's I think she just learned the term bored. And now she's bored with everything. Like, if you're <laughs> bored, you're not looking hard enough. Or you're not trying to understand it. And you have to try to make everything interesting, like trick yourself into being interested and then understand the context because contextualization versus memorization after a certain point is where you really grow to that intellectual capacity that allows you to lift off and expand to the infinite worlds of knowledge. Yeah. Be inquisitive. Right. Yeah. I really believe in that. So, and fostering that, you know, that creativity in kids. I feel like that's one thing. Growing up, we didn't have any of these devices or any of, you literally created a game with sticks and you were like, oh, I'm playing, you know, and you could just do anything. And now it's like, so often, even my own kids, like they need, it's hard for them to think out of the box sometimes, right? Where's my iPad? Where's my phone? Where's this? Can I, can I just watch this? And then I just sit down and, you know, exploring the brain and learning in other ways. But I think to have both avenues of it is is much better. 
Yeah. You want to apply the principles that you see. Like I, I, I try to make sure she only watches uh, stuff that she's learning from. Like she says, dad, can we go do this? Can we go try this? Can we go make this? Can we go build Aww. this? So I'm like, yeah, that I'm okay with watching to, you know, a certain amount of time, but you know, to just sit down like, I don't know what to do. It's like, well, then yes. you know, pick up a marker, pick up a pen, pick up a yeah. crayon, pick up a brush, go draw. Like you love art. Most kids love art. And if they're not being heavily restricted to stay in the lines or whatever they can express themselves freely in other ways that they might not be able to verbally do so at various age points if yes. they never want to do it then they get older and they stay quiet and depressed and, and they don't actually grow and flourish to a certain point for sure we now we've got all these kids like a ticking time bomb all over the place because they don't know how to cope with the stresses around them mm-hmm. especially the last was- two three years <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I'm looking for this book that <laughs> is actually helpful for adults and I'm going to have to find it, but it's all about, yeah. oh, here it is. It's like right up here. It's called visual doing. Oh, I don't right. know if you know this. I, it's just a fantastic book kind of emphasizes that. Yeah. Willamine brand. It's all about adults should be drawing more. You exactly. know? So, <laughs> yeah. I love this a book. couple of years ago, like the adult coloring books came out and they were yes. like such a big hit. It <laughs> yes. got us off our phones, got us off our screens, got us right? off our social media pages that make us falsely believe everything has, is amazing and everybody has amazing lives, but ours is terrible. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst thing for generalized population. Oh as well. <laughs> It's a tool. Use it as a tool, a tool appropriately to get a positive message out. But when you're just trolling on there, you're never going to come out feeling good no matter who you are. I agree. And that's like something to identify. Like just get off of that or use it as a tool to promote, you know, positivity and wellness and I'm help all about that. encourage others. But yeah. If you're not doing that, then get off. <laughs> You know, and even this podcast, like it's like a real passion project of mine. And I love it because I get to elevate other people. I get to spotlight other people's accomplishments and their ideas and the things that they do. Um, Spread the positivity. I agree. And and you get a massive uh, brain drain onto yourself. So you get to absorb all that knowledge from everybody as well. I know. (laughs) Did I get smarter? Let's hope. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So you completed a doctorate in Chinese. Uh, yes. So we, we did work. We did work alongside translators, though, because it was okay. Uh, pretty extensive, and the language requirement was not presented to us until mm. we showed up in China. Oh. <laughs> so we were under the guys that we'd only have to pass a few like equivalency examinations, and they turned around and said, "No, if you you can present your your kaiti balgo, your prospectus to us in Chinese, then we'll negate the others." So like each one of us, ah. seven students, had to literally present for anywhere from 10 to 25 minutes in full oh. Chinese and like very advanced uh, medical terminologies to describe our very complicated research yeah. in Chinese. And it also had to be submitted and written in Chinese too. Wow. <laughs> so that was like a really in- intense, stressful moment. It's like, what? I'm like, okay, I've got two weeks to learn how to present and answer questions and Translate and write and technology like chat GPT did not exist at that time. Very helpful (laughs) to a certain extent because Google Translate wasn't very good. It it had like a very archaic robotic system of translating. So you needed to really actively work on having a good flow and rhythm of the words. And Chinese does not have much grammar. So when you translate it into a grammar of our language, it it comes very disjointed and sounds like you do not know what you're talking about. But when you translate it into proper Chinese, it's very poetic, it's very long, it's very flowing. The tones and intonations are like Mm. a musical song. 
they're like, I don't understand Chinese. I'm like, just listen back. It's like someone playing a keyboard. Like, like it's really, it's really amazing. And it's one of the most tonal languages out there that you really, really do understand and express each of the tones. And it is very, very much a harmonious uh, melodic language. It is. And my one of my best friends in high school was um, Chinese and she spoke both Mandarin and Cantonese and she yeah. tried to teach me. And Cantonese uh, is even harder. Mandarin yeah. is four to five. One is silent. Cantonese has 11 to 17 tones. It's insane. Yeah. She tried to teach me something <laughs> and I thought I was repeating it back correctly. Yeah. And she was like, oh, you just said the wrong thing. And I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> Yeah, it's, you could say, you know, oh, that chair that my, or your mother's a horse. Like, it's oh, no. what you're saying, like, what did you say? <laughs> I said, move the chair. No, I called your mother a horse. I said, what? Oh, my gosh. Said, yeah. It all says something different depending on how you place mm -hmm. the tone and how you get to where you're going. <laughs> I'd love to learn more about the language. I feel... I feel like it's like definitely on my bucket list eventually. Like I'm very com comfortable with all the romance languages because French is yeah. my first language, but I would love to learn yeah. another language. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Chinese is, is ironically a pretty good one. Once yeah. you get over the, the daunting fear of like the characters and the and vocabulary and the extensiveness of yeah. like classical Chinese or like Guwen, I studied a little bit. Mm. which is literary Chinese, you know, mm. there's like 85,000 characters. Some of the characters have 85 strokes in them in one little box. Oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, and those are all based on like hermeneutic knowledge. So it was like what time period, who was in power, what region oh, wow. was written in all changes the meaning of that character. Hmm. So simplified or modern Mandarin is, you know, way easier in comparison yeah, it's only like ancient Guwen, like literary Chinese. It's fascinating. Which is what I need to actually get all my knowledge comes from ancient Chinese. So <laughs> I had to work and, and find people who are already really good at it. And uh, one, one, one or two of my teachers were one of the top translators of literary Chinese. So it's very helpful to have the right people in, in my court. To, uh, you know what? That's so true. When it comes to any academic learning or any learning yeah. in general, having the right people and the right teachers yeah. is everything. It's tremendous because you will, they, they will, you know, set you out of the yard and give you direction mm -hmm. and say, go on this adventure and come back and show me what you learned, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, and inspire you and also like check you if you're like, you know, to a certain degree, you make them look good or bad too. Yeah, so <laughs> like that's uh, your yeah. student. What happened there? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that's your student. What did you do? That's amazing. <laughs> it goes both ways, <laughs> especially as, as you it. get up to the higher accommodation levels. Like you really represent your advisors, yeah. as you know. Like here, you do <laughs> you represent them properly. You gotta, uh, you gotta represent for sure. Yeah. And, and um, go, go to their level and beyond, and then they're, then they're proud of you when you exceed their expectations. By yeah. far, them like, wow, okay, you've impressed me now. Uh, well, you continue to impress me. I have to be honest. <laughs> You really, and not only it's so for the listeners, like Sean is the only one who can fix my back <laughs> and it's quite a feat. Requires <laughs> a little bit of effort. <laughs> oh yeah. So what is your recommendation for our guests, you know, who are listening now is, are you have any thoughts on how to learn more about acupuncture or just in general, anything you want to share with the audience? Yeah. So I mean, if, if you're interested in learning acupuncture, I wouldn't necessarily say go pick up a textbook like I did. Um, but there, there's one particular book by a Harvard professor in the, in the Harvard School of Medicine called Ted Kapchuk. 
and his book is The Web That Has No Weaver, and it's kind of like a precursor to most people's interest in Chinese medicine. So it'll give you a nice, you know, 250-page, you know, pretty pretty easy book to get through. Very well chaptered, very organized, and, and goes over the basic terminologies and explanations of them and meridians and points in a, in a you know, relatively simplistic fashion that just kind of like, I have a lot of patients who read it because like, I want to learn more. I want to try to understand what you're telling me with, you know, without taking up too much of my time. I'm like, don't worry, I, I'm here to teach. But, um, but I find that book is a very good entry-level book. Um, and it might be a little bit more than above entry level, but it's not a textbook. Textbook will just be like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Um, but it, cause it's, you know, you pick it up at like Amazon, like 10, 12 bucks or something like that. But cause I'll there be still teaching in Harvard and introducing the medical doctors and in incoming fields to traditional medicine, um, which is very cool uh, to be on that level accepted. Right. Well, there's a, there's a huge body of research on the efficacy of acupuncture and supporting yeah. various, you know, conditions. So I'm thrilled to, um, I'll link the book in the show notes in addition yeah. to your website. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so yeah, much, Sean. Uh, yeah. And anybody can reach out to me anytime they want to. I've got, uh, I've, I've, I've somewhat used social media as a tool. We're going to kind of get on there more, but I have an Instagram page. I have a Facebook page and just my website oh. as well. I will link both of those, actually all three of them, your Instagram, your Facebook, and your website. And thank yeah. you so much, Sean. This was a <laughs> great welcome. conversation. Definitely. <laughs> so looking forward to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Literacy Landscapes podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much to my son, Max, and his amazing teacher, James, for the theme song you're listening to today. Be well. Bye. <laughs>